We came through a series that we heard a lot of people responded uh, pretty well to, that known series where we took a deep dive into Psalm 139. And next week we start the Lenten season and we're going to talk about a costly journey as we look at Jesus' sojourn uh, to Jerusalem found in the Good News According to Luke. But we have this in-between time, and this is a Sunday, often in the life of churches, it's called Transfiguration Sunday. You're going to figure out why here in just a minute as we read the text. But it's a Sunday where uh, we see what Jesus is telling us to do. And so I hope you'll be ready for that. Um, Before I read the scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord, we're grateful for all that you do for us. We know that uh, you call us to respond in so many ways. Yes, through our giving and through our tithes and offerings, but you respond, you tell us to respond uh, with our lives. And that's, that's what you've done for us, God. Responded to our brokenness and our hurt. And responded to our sinfulness and our waywardness by coming down and being with us through Jesus. And as we read about him going up to the mountain, We know that he came down to die a horrible death for each person that walks this planet. May we hear his voice calling to us today to follow. May the words that are spoken somehow, someway, God, encourage us, inspire us to be like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. It's a tradition in this service to stand for the scripture reading, and particularly with do that because we are reading a gospel text. So if you are able, so, so feel led, you know uh, the good news according to Matthew, the 17th chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he's still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. We got to admit, this is an odd text, isn't it? It's kind of weird. We, we don't usually see bright things flashing like that. And, and sometimes when we see something like that, well, it kind of scares us, doesn't it? When we see light, bright flashes or see something glowing, uh, we may be like those disciples, get terrified. I didn't watch too many episodes of Friends. Some of y'all may have watched a lot of them or watching the reruns. You know, it's a, it, you know, it's a show that was very popular for, for a good long time. Though I didn't watch many of them, I do remember an episode where the character Ross was going out on a first date with a woman that he really wanted to impress. So what he did was he put whitener on his teeth. 
And he was only supposed to do it for an hour, but he said, I really want to impress this gal. So he left the whitener on all day long. And uh, when he had taken off the material, his teeth literally glowed. And his friends are saying, oh my gosh, we've got to do something about this. So they put on makeup. They try to put some clothes on to toe down the, the bright smile. Nothing worked. So it came time for the date. And uh, they're there together, and he, uh, this woman he's trying to impress, and, and she begins to talk and talk, and he didn't do anything, just nods his head like he's listening. And she said, you know, I- I'm really impressed with you. Most of the men I go out with, all they do is talk, but you're here listening and, 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 and paying attention to me. You're a great listener. And I think we're really hitting it off. So they go to a place and get the lights down low a little bit, and he smiles, and his mouth literally glows in the dark. And she shouts out in terror, oh my gosh, what is this? He said, but I've done it for you. And he said, get out of here, you're a weirdo. (laughs) You know, we're not used to seeing stuff glow like that, are we? I mean, when we see something shine like that, we might be in a bit of terror like, like that woman was, or like these disciples, when they see this bright glow, And the text says they were afraid, or literally they were terrified. And probably you and I would be too if we saw something like that. Because it's so mysterious and so so strange. But in the end of their time together, they had this blessing. They only saw Jesus. May that be so for us whenever we see something that frightens us and terrifies us the text goes like this six days after something happened and i'll unpack that in just a second jesus took his key disciples peter james and john up to a mountain we don't know exactly what mountain it is but scholars think it might be mount tabor south of of galilee and the six days is something to be noted because As you study the text, Bible scholars will tell you that this is the same amount of time that it took from Moses to leave the people of Israel and go up to be with the Lord. And so six days after this time where Jesus is at a place called Caesarea Philippi with the disciples, well, here goes Jesus going up to this mountain. And who appears? Well, Moses. This lawgiver, this one who revealed to the people how to live. There's Moses, and then also here comes with him Elijah, the prophet, the greatest prophet that ever lived, this prophet that did not face death at all, but it was carried away, carried away into heaven. So there's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, all there together. And, and Peter is there and is stunned, and, and Peter does like he normally does. He speaks before he thinks and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We, 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 we can build some tabernacles so that we can capture this moment. Now, I wish Peter had done something different. I wish he had written down what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about instead of thinking about building something, but, you know, it, we don't, can't have everything, right? And of course, the disciples oftentimes are kind of dense. No wonder they're called the disciples. But anyways, but before we get too down on Peter, we got to realize that, well, maybe Peter was just doing something that was part of their tradition. 
I was blessed to study uh, for a period of time with a fellow named Lynn Sweet. You may, may have heard of him. He taught for a long time at, at Drew University, was a president of uh, the Methodist Theological Seminary in Ohio for a while. Um, interesting fellow. And Lynn would take a different spin on all sorts of things. And he kind of does on this one. He says, before we're too harsh on Peter, we've got to understand that well, Peter was just doing what people of Israel have done for all, all along, trying to capture the moment. For the people of, of Israel are good about helping folks remember things. For you see, when the Jewish people came into the promised land, uh, crossing the river Jordan, not too after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, when the river Jordan parted as the Ark of the Covenant touched the water, the water split apart and the people went through on the dry land and God told Joshua, Joshua, you get 12 stones from that river. You have the leaders of each tribe grab 12 stones and you bring them out and set them there as a memorial forever for what happened here. And Joshua called that place Gilgal, the place where they remembered what God had done for them because they they wanted to set up this monument to what had happened so people would remember. Some tell us that what Peter was doing was enacting by saying, let's build these booths, let's build these tabernacles for Moses and and Elijah and Jesus, was was talking about the the Feast of the Tabernacles where our Jewish friends to this day during uh, the fall will set up what they call booths to remember what happened in the wilderness, building something, you see. And I have to take an aside for just a moment. Friends, we need to pray for our Jewish brothers in the town of Boom. Yeah, I don't know if you all heard or not, but somebody uh, a few nights ago put a Nazi flag on their sign. Talk about horrible. So let us stand in solidarity with them and be in prayer for them. If you know anybody that attends the synagogue, reach out to, to them and their leadership. But friends... Peter was doing just like the Jewish people like to do, building a monument, setting up some sort of uh, statue, putting together some stones. Let us commemorate what is going on here. That's what, that's what Peter's doing. And we do the same today, don't we? Go to Washington, D.C. What you're going to see, a lot of monuments, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, the, uh, the Marine Corps statue, the World War II Memorial. We'll see some memorials and statues all over. Why? So we can remember what happened. And we, we go to places that special things happen. We like battlefields for some reason. So there's the Gettysburg uh, Battlefield. There is Chancellorsville. There's Yorktown. And we remember other things like this. In this great state, you go over to the coast and you see the place where the people first flew, right? At Kitty Hawk. There's monuments there. There's memorials there. Heck, we even do it here in Boone. There's uh, the memorial to Stoneman's Raid. Uh, There's a Daniel Boone monument. Heck, there's even a monument to the ginseng tree here in Boone. We, We people like to set up stones and statues and signs to remember things, don't we? To capture what happened in a place. But it's interesting to see in this text as soon as Peter opens up his mouth and says Lord let's build us a tabernacle here it'll be great that we have one for you and one for Peter and one and one for Moses and what Peter one for Elijah and one for Moses the voice from on high says this this is my beloved son 
listen to him. For what we've got to understand, folks, is this. That the Ark of the Covenant now is Jesus. The one who reveals who the world needs to follow is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came down like Moses did from the mountain to show us how to live. Moses brought the Ten Commandments to the people, to to, the people of Israel how to live, but Jesus shows us a way of life as he comes down from the mountain. He is the fulfillment of the law. He even said so himself. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is the one who Isaiah talked about that will bring peace. He is the light to the nations. He is the one, as Isaiah said also, that he came to take away our grief and by his stripes we are healed. He is the one that Daniel said will come down, the Son of Man will come down in glory. Jesus, you see, is the one. It's not some monument. It's not some statue. It's not some pile of stones. It's Jesus. And it's his voice saying to us, follow me. It's interesting. There's no temple that Jesus built. We don't have any books that he wrote. There's no monument that he set up. What he did is give a people pouring himself into the lives of those who are around him. And all who have been blessed by that message carried on by the first disciples, us, well, we are those stones. As Peter said, the living stones that reflect who Jesus is. So, when we hear this voice in this story saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. What, what are we to listen to? What, what, what's Jesus saying? What, what, what message are we to take as we move ahead out of this, this interesting, mysterious tale of, of the transfiguration? Well, like any story, and particularly any biblical narrative, you, you know, so oftentimes people take a Bible uh, story or, or they'll take something from the Bible and they get one verse and they go from there. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, we, we can do that. But with a narrative, you take the whole story, right? You got to see what happens before and what happens afterwards. So remember what I just said earlier, that six days after some event happened, Jesus took... Peter, James, and John to the mountain. What was the six days? What happened? Well, Jesus was at a place called Caesarea Philippi. And there uh, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they come up with stuff. Well, some say you're Elijah and some say that you're John the Baptist. But then Peter, from some inspiration, says, no, no, Lord. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you can almost, you can almost see Jesus looking at Peter with pride in his, in his gaze at Peter. And, and because he, he said, Peter, your little peanut brain didn't come up with that. You have been, this has been revealed to you by none other God himself. And then these words come. You are the rock. 
You are the rock, Peter. And upon you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. Oh, man, his head starts to swell. Can you, Peter, say, I'm the rock? Yeah, before there, there was a Dwayne Johnson, there was me. I'm the rock. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, starting to, he's starting to get that big head, right? But watch out, y'all. Anytime you get a compliment that something's going to happen to burst that bubble. Something's going to happen to burst that bubble. For, I know that's happened in my life, might happen in yours. I, I remember I was a, in British literature class in college. And we were studying for the test on Beowulf. Now, any college students out there have had to do that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And had to memorize and all those type things. And I was studying with my girlfriend at the time, who now is my wife. And, uh, you know, we took the test, and I did better than her. Uh, not only did I do better than her, I, did, I got the best grade in the class. In Dr. Head's British literature class. Now, Dr. Emory Head was a true Southern gentleman. He would speak like this. Now, friends, I'm here to tell you about Beowulf. And he would drag the syllables out. Well, anyways, he, would, he was going over the test with everybody, you know, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I've just greatly disturbed that no one in this class knows how to spell loyalty. On your essays, you, everyone misspelled that word. And being full of myself and fairly small class, I said, well, head, Dr. Head, I got around that. I just said, he is loyal. And Emory Head stopped, turned around, looked at me and said, I'll never forget this. Ed, you're a prisoner of your own inadequacies. <laughs> and my fraternity brothers and fellow ball players in that class started laughing. Guess what my nickname became for that year? Prisoner. So, yeah, I had my bubble burst. You may have had something like that happen, too. I've got plenty of stories, trust me. What has happened to Peter? See, after he's called the rock and he's there prancing around all that, then, and Jesus said, well, yeah, I'm the Messiah, but let me tell you what's going to happen. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to evil men. And there he's going to suffer and be beaten and he's going to be crucified, but on the third day, rise again. And Peter said, wait a minute, Lord, come here. And Matthew has him pull him aside and said, come here. This isn't what's supposed to happen to you, Jesus. You know, you're, you're the Messiah. Messiah isn't going to die. You're, you're supposed to go out and, and conquer and, and free us from the Romans and, and, and do all sorts of powerful things. And here is what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. Wow, I thought being called a prisoner of my own inadequacies is rough. Get behind me, Satan. Because you see, what Peter was echoing was the temptation that the devil himself had given to Jesus there on a mountain not too far away from Mount Tabor. And said, hey, you want everyone to follow you? Show your glory. Show your glory. And that temptation was whispering in his ear. Because, y'all, Jesus wasn't just tempted on that mountain. If his temptations are real, they keep coming back to you in some form or fashion. And here is Peter echoing the words of the devil himself. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. 
And then he says something that had to shock all those disciples. He said, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow after me. In other words, empty yourself of yourself and be like me. It's as Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2. Have the same mind upon you that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, who did not account equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross, because therefore, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what he is saying, y'all, what God the Father is saying, listen to my son, if you follow after him, this is the way, this is the way, the only way is to empty oneself, to take up a cross and follow him, to follow after him. For this Jesus, who like Moses came down from the mountain, and as I said earlier, Moses came down to bring a law, the Ten Commandments, and all those 613 laws that our Jewish friends follow. Jesus said, God said, my son's coming down show you the way to live and that's by self-emptying and sacrificing and giving of self just like my son did so that others will have no life and you will truly know life life to the full for to be raised up we gotta go down and that's so totally opposite of what our society says, right? We've got to climb the ladder. We've got to puff ourselves up. We have all this self-actualization. And, and Jesus said, nah, deny self. And if you deny self, you're, you're lifted up. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. There's a, a hymn that every now and then we'll sing. Um, you may have heard it. I'm not going to sing it. And you can say, thank the Lord for that. Um, but, the, but the chorus goes this, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone. There's a cross for me. That's what it means to listen to Jesus. Last week when we had the fake snowstorm, and a lot of people weren't able to come out for one reason or another. We did have here a special event that went on during the Sunday school hour in the chapel. And we had speak to us uh, a pastor from Ukraine, Vlad uh, Colin, and his wife Elena was here with us. And uh, they came to us because uh, we have been connected with a Ukrainian family here in this community, uh, Misha and Anna Balashavska. If you're listening, Anna and Misha, I know I butchered, butchered the last name, but sorry. And there's, their children are, are in our school system, uh, Mary and Danny. 
And Vlad uh, and his wife came to the United States, you see, because they were visiting their daughter who's in Sarasota. They brought her here to flee from the violence that's going on in Ukraine. And they told the story, though, of what happened. Uh, their town, Kharkiv, is right on uh, the Russian and Ukrainian border, so it was quickly overrun. And what uh, they did, uh, their little church there in Kharkiv, they gathered all the vehicles they could to get people away from the day danger. Anna and Misha are some of those folks. And they showed pictures uh, of them evacuating people in vehicles that they rounded up as a church. Uh, when I was in college, we tried to fit as many people as we could in a VW Bug. Have you ever, ever, ever tried to do that? We, I think we got, the record was 16 uh, in, into VW. Yeah, th- yeah, that was a lot. Yes, I know. Uh, shoes and, were every, and feet were everywhere. It was, it was a rough. Well, that was only just riding around town. They had cars packed that way, getting people away from that violence, ev- evacuating them from the, the Russian invaders. Well, they brought their daughter Kate to live with people and some relatives in Sarasota. But Vlad and Elena went back and they ministered to people. And then because of uh, the help of the American military, their, their, their town is re reoccupied by the Ukrainian forces, but people had stayed there, living in basements and in bunkers, and just because it's free from the Russian soldiers doesn't mean that they're not being bombed right now, and so what Elena and and Vlad and other people of the church are doing, they're going day after day, they go back to where it's a little more safe, they get supplies and bring them to the people over and over and over and over again. And there they are handing out materials, uh, food, hygiene items. They don't have water, y'all. When they showed the picture last week of where Anna and Misha lived in this apartment complex, it had been damaged and there was no electricity there. And of course, it gets cold in Ukraine. And they showed frozen water that had come from the windows all throughout the building. This is where people not too different than me and you lived. Y'all... It's hard for us to comprehend, but most Ukrainians were living a middle-class life like you and I, and here comes this invasion and destroys it all, and people are broken and hurting, and Vlad and Elena came to America, visited their daughter. Vlad raised money by doing odd jobs in Florida. He came up here to do a pastoral visit with, his, with Anna and Misha. What, I mean, talk about a dedicated pastor, Brad. I mean, he came all the, all the way from Ukraine to see his parishioners here in Boone, North Carolina. And he spoke to us, and people are so moved. Because they said, if we had a, a bus, we could take more stuff in. We could bring more people out that needed coming out, and we could have a bigger place to offer worship. Because when they... When they gather together like that, they come in and they have about 20 minutes before the Russians start bombing them again. They come in, deliver the food, and then they worship. And then they they hightail it out of there and those people go back to their basements and bunkers, living in ways they probably could never imagine. And they're asking us to try to raise some money for a a bus, $10,000. We can do that to help these cross bearers go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Just like 
Jesus had women, as we read about in Luke's gospel, that supported his work of going to the cross. We can, we can lend a hand, lend some aid. I think, whoop, there was a QR code on there, but it, go to the website. There it is. You can, if you want to take a picture of that, do so. But y'all, those are people who came here. Now, they could have stayed in America. When they, they led us in worship, you know, they sang in beautiful Ukrainian, and we sang some with them in songs that we both knew together. One of them was Amazing Grace. You could see the joy in them. You could see the joy in them. They, they could have lingered on the mountaintop of worship, but they are literally going to a place of death and destruction, following the way of Jesus. Y'all, you don't have to go to Ukraine. You don't have to uh, go off to some foreign mission field to, uh, to take up a cross. It can happen where you are right now. And Brad mentioned the revival in Asbury. I'm so thrilled by what's happening there. But the proof that revival is real is people saying, I'm going to give up myself and follow Jesus. And there was an Asbury revival. It was in 1970. I think your dad was a part of it. And from what I've heard and understand is that great racial reconciliation took place after that revival. I wonder what God's going to do after this one in Asbury and other places. Because Jesus said, if you're my follower... As I'm coming down from the mountaintop, as I'm leading uh, Peter, James, and John down, take up a cross. And that may look as simple as helping to stack chairs after worship, helping out with the Mardi Gras party. I, I, that's what I call it. You know, I remember I'm from the Gulf Coast. Might be helping on Thursday night dinner, firewood ministry. It might mean when you go home dog-tired and see that the house is messed up and your spouse hadn't had time to clean it up instead of being bitter. You say, Jesus, help me bow down before you and take care of this. Because that's what followers of Jesus do. We surrender ourselves just like he did to lift others up and in the process we're lifted up to. That is the way of Jesus. And it's the only way we can follow him. It's the only way. So let us, as we've come to the mountaintop of worship here, let us listen to the voice of Jesus and say, Jesus, okay, what would you have me do to surrender myself? so that others might know you because of me and so that in that process somehow God you lift me up to experience the joy of Jesus and let us pray oh, Jesus we know that you call us to the mountaintop that's what worship is in so many ways and we uh, aren't called to build anything God we're just called to listen and as we listen, 
as we take upon ourselves uh, your calling to us, we know that as we do so, you empower us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because that Spirit, God, comes, yes, to, to fill us with peace and joy and, and, and kindness and generosity, but God, it also gives us an eye to see the brokenness of the world, to hear the cries of the oppressed and the needy, to hear the, the whispers of the lonely, to take time to be with those who don't have a friend. And God, in that process, we experience life because we become like Jesus. Maybe so for each person that is tuning in or here in this place. Maybe so for this church, God, that people uh, will see us and hear uh, our, our love and experience our graciousness that they say, I see Jesus and I want to be like him. Oh God, now come. Holy Spirit, come, revive us, stir us, empower us, and make us like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let us stand, come to the mountaintop of worship, to be sent forth to serve.